The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. There's another thing you mentioned in your book that I thought was very different and, and interesting and worth talking about. And you said- Just my, one more thing? No, no, no. Jeez. <laughs> Did you read the same book that I wrote? There were 123 great things. Okay, that's no. better. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Kawasaki. <laughs> Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing to help grow your business. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Guy Kawasaki, and we're going to talk about the new book that he has co-authored with Peg Fitzpatrick, The Art of Social Media, Power Tips for Power Users. Guy is the chief evangelist of Canva, a very cool online graphic design tool. Formerly, he was an advisor to the Motorola business unit of Google and was chief evangelist of Apple. He's also the author of The Art of the Start, Enchantment, Ape, which is author, publisher, entrepreneur, and nine other books. Guy, congratulations on The Art of Social Media and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well... Share with us the story of what led to this book. The truth is that my co-author, Peg Fitzpatrick, pounded on me for six months to do the book. I didn't think that it was necessary because there's been so much written about social media, so many books, so many you know blog entries, whatever. Uh, but I, I finally saw the light, and one day I started outlining it and writing it with her, and the next thing you know, you know, we have what we have. So uh, we're trying to make this the best book ever written about social media. Mm-hmm. The book is surprisingly short <laughs> for such a broad topic. It has 12 chapters. One of my favorite chapter names is Chapter 10, How to Avoid Looking Clueless. Mm-hmm. And the book has 123 very specific instructions on social media. So, Guy, if Jason Falls had not already authored the book No Bullshit Social Media, would you have used that title for this book? No, because uh, I, it, there's not a lot of upside in using profanity in a title. There's a lot of downside. Okay, good. Maybe that's why yours is going to sell well. Um <laughs> No, it's it's true. It's true. But I just read the book and I thought, you know, this really is very no no BS. <laughs> and clearly it's for marketing. It's it's not about how to help your friends and impress your friends on Facebook. But how is this different from so many of the other social media books? I think it's because so many of the other social media books at one level deal in duisms. Duism that you know, is too simplistic, like you need to have a good profile. You need to be engaging. You need to answer comments. You need to constantly post great content. 
And th those are duh-isms, like, you know, duh, we're supposed to post great content. Oh, good thing you told me that, because until you told me that, I was going to, you know, <laughs> I was going to post crappy content. So right there, the book paid for itself, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you wrote that you're supposed to have a good profile, because until I read that, I was going to have a crappy profile. So, you know, that's another key insight that you provided me. <laughs> So this book is not at all at that level. This book is much deeper. So let's take the profile, for example. So duh, you need a great profile. So we go in to like, you know, just the minutia of what makes a great avatar, that it's primarily your face, uh, that it is asymmetrical, that it is not cropped out of a larger picture, that the light is from the front, and those kinds of things, right? So it's one thing to write, you need a great avatar. It's another thing to tell you what is a great avatar. So th that's true throughout the whole book. That's everything we have in there. It's meant for you to, you know, highlight, bookmark, dog ear, go to your computer and fix something or do something different. Why should people be wary of self-professed social media gurus and experts? Well, you know, for one thing, uh, those are the kind of people who write many of these books, and <laughs> um, and I never call myself a guru or an expert because, frankly, social media and almost every subject is just moving too fast. So, if I had won a Nobel Prize for physics, I would call myself an expert in physics. But I, you know, I would argue that the the world's Nobel Prize winner in physics probably doesn't consider himself an expert in physics or herself an expert in physics, but just, you know, keeps motoring along the path of knowledge. So I describe a very good test when people tell you, you know, this is what you should or shouldn't do, which is to figure out how many followers they have and to look at the content they post. Because if somebody says, well, this is how you get more followers or this is how you post great content, and you see that they have 250 followers and their content is crap, it kind of tells you something, right? I mean, it, it would be like if, if your cardiologist was grossly overweight. <laughs> right. You know, like who wants a cardiologist like that? Mm -hmm. What do you think is the greatest fear people have about getting started with social media? Probably that they will, quote unquote, do something wrong. You know, they're, they're worried about embarrassment something will go viral that they did that's stupid. Uh, and, and, you know, those kind of things can happen. I, I've posted mistakes and stuff like that all the time. And I have to tell you that, you know, social media is a very, very busy place. And yes, you could do something wrong. And yes, you might be embarrassed. And yes, you think it's the end of the world. But quite frankly, the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Uh, if, if you take some extremes like, uh, United Airlines breaks this musician's guitar, so he writes a song that 30 million people watch the video, right? That's like the worst case. Oh, my God. You know, 30, pe 30 million people watched a, vide a video about how we break guitars. You know, this is the end of the world for United, right? Well, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm still flying on United. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like... Gas prices go down, United makes more money. I mean, life goes on. So if you approach social media as you never want to make a mistake, you'll never be great at it. And it, the bottom line is that everybody makes mistakes. 
a week later, nobody remembers or cares. Uh, case in point, so right before the Super Bowl, Gold Daddy showed a TV ad that uh, depicted a puppy falling off a truck that finally caught up to the truck. And when the puppy caught up to the truck, the owner of the farm or truck or whatever said, oh, we sold you already on a site on GoDaddy, right? So, I mean, just describing that ad, you think, you know, how stupid could you be to run that ad? But that's that's a different discussion. It's very mean-spirited. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that I would say that's kind of like pretty bad faux pas, right? Well, you know, have you stopped hosting at GoDaddy? No. <laughs> Did you, you know, if you're going to buy a domain right now, where would you go? Probably go daddy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, I mean, it's kind of like, um, let's say you stand up and you give a speech and your fly is open, okay? I mean, yeah, you know, it's embarrassing, it's bad, but, and people might laugh about it for a few days, but, you know, a week later, I mean, who gives a hell crap? So, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say, keep posting and, no, no, what is it? Stay calm and keep posting. Right, right. Well, there's another thing you mentioned in your book that I thought was very different and, and interesting and worth talking about. And you said- Just my, one more thing? No, no, no. <laughs> Jeez. Did you read the same book that I wrote? There were 123 great things. Okay, that's no. better. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Kawasaki. <laughs> um, no, there was one other thing that you mentioned that I want to talk about. And that is, you said, my theory is that if you're not pissing people off on social media, you're not using it right. Yes. Can you explain what you mean there? Yes, because if you are posting interesting things, there will be people who disagree. Uh, and if you also post things with as much frequency as I suggest, there will be people who complain that you post too much. But, you know, there are people who complain that NPR runs the pledge drive too much. Or that, you know, Terry Gross's fresh air was repeated twice in a day. And this is because there is something called the Internet, how should I put it? Internet uh, entitlement syndrome? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the best words I've ever found for it. So, yeah, so the Internet entitlement syndrome means that you think that you are the center of the universe. So this is for people who haven't figured out the Copernicus existed right they're catching up they're catching yeah. up yeah so you are the center of the internet so god forbid guy kawasaki posted a story that you didn't like that wasn't at the right time with the right content with the right perspective that filled your need okay so guy kawasaki wasted your time my god you had to click and you had to spend 30 seconds to figure out you didn't care about this story you know how dare Guy Kawasaki do that? And then he posted that another time, eight hours later, which I could make the case. If you saw that post twice in eight hours, you know, your life sucks. You know, like you have nothing better to do. So that kind of person, you know, you just can't make happy. So don't worry about it. Plus, you, you mentioned, I think, that how much they pay for this social media to be able to follow you and well and, you know that's because right. their time is so freaking valuable that right. yeah god right. forbid that that it would you know what it would be like um you're driving down the freeway and you see a billboard that doesn't pertain to you right so it's like the northern california 
tattoo exhibit and you're not getting you're not interested in a tattoo so you call up the northern california tattoo association and you say how dare you put that billboard on the freeway because i looked at it and i wasted my time like you know get a freaking life right well let's talk a little bit about people who are trolls yeah and and that that seems like it's one of the other things that companies are afraid of of criticism and Mm -hmm somebody might say something. How do you address that? How, how, what do you say to those folks about the, I guess, the skin thickness issue? Yeah, well, we're getting into an area where people need to do what I tell you to do as opposed to what I sometimes do, which is uh, generally the best, best policy is just ignore trolls. That, you know, what makes them most crazy is if you don't engage with them. And... And if you, if you really want to take it to the next level, just delete their comment and ban them from posting on your site again. So the, the analogy or the metaphor that I like to use is think of your social media platform and your social media posts down to the individual post level as your swimming pool. This is your swimming pool. It's not a public swimming pool. It's your swimming pool. It's in your yard, Okay. So if you invite somebody over for a swim and they pee in your pool, you throw them out and you never invite them back. That's perfectly legitimate. Same mm-hmm. thing with social media. Mm-hmm. So if, if, you, if you post a story that is meaningful to you and valuable to you and interesting to you and let's say... Um, Let's say you post a story about how many people are not getting uh, the MMR vaccine because that's important to you, right? Mm-hmm. So, so some troll comes up and says, well, I guess you want autistic children, huh? You know, just, mm-hmm. delete, just delete and ban the asshole. I mean, who gives a shit? So that's one recommendation. Can I swear on your show? Please, um, I already started the okay. thing, so. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so that's one attitude. And the other attitude, which is slightly more engaging, is that you observe what I call the amateur boxing uh, rule, which is amateur boxing goes three rounds. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the fight. So uh, this recommendation would be, so you post something, something about MMR vaccination. Or politics or something. Politics, right. Yeah, okay. uh, religion. Okay, so, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid you support uh, rights for women, okay? So, so somebody trolls and posts a comment. That's, that's round one. Round two, you respond. Round three is that person responds to your response. End of discussion. No more rounds. That person wants to go, you know, 15 rounds with you until there's a knockout. Mm-hmm. And that hardly ever serves any purpose because you think that the whole world is carefully following this thread where you posted a story, person commented, you responded, he responded, you responded, he responded, you responded, he responded, you responded, he responded, you responded. Finally, somebody emerges the victor, okay? The truth is nobody cares. Nobody's following the thread. There's only two people in the world who are following the thread, you and the troll. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know, people jump in and they, they may glance at this 
thread of things over the past few days, and they're only going to see the context of your response. And your response might not make sense and might not appear to be intelligent or classy or whatever. So, you know, the, the true audience is not the troll, it's the lurkers, and the lurkers are not going to have context. So, I say go three rounds. Now, again, I'm repeating this. Sometimes I do just for the intellectual enjoyment. I take I take on trolls. Mm -hmm. I I I just it's kind of like flossing for me. It's just you know I do it for fun. And we um, thank you for doing that. Yeah, and but I also have to tell you that many times uh, this is a very complex answer because I'm going to contradict myself. So sometimes what I've noticed is people do not expect you to respond. And so when you respond, they completely reverse themselves. And they say, oh, guy, I, I didn't know you would ever respond. I didn't think you would ever do something like this. So I'm a great admirer of your books and writing. And like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm often speechless that, you know, you like basically attack me. And then I respond and you say, oh, no, I'm a great fan. Like, you know, what am I missing here? So one of the lessons there is, you know, just probably keep calm and respond. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, <laughs> also, uh, don't feed the trolls. Yeah, well, or don't feed the trolls. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what they want you to do. And you describe this uh, ongoing battle going back and forth. One of the other many parts from the book, but one of them that I really enjoy. <laughs> now I'm all sensitive about See, that. I got you trained. You got me. You got me. Um, you mentioned companies should not delegate their social media to interns. Yeah. Can you explain that dynamic, why it happens, and, and why it's not often a good yeah, well, idea? First of all, my son went crazy when he read that, but <laughs> that's a whole other discussion, right? Now, at least you got attention from your kids. You yeah, well, yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, so what I mean here is that uh, I, I think that some organizations, they don't realize that social media equals marketing and PR at this point. It's not an experiment. It's not something you do when everything else is done. It's not that you put on the, you know, the cold back burner. This is core to your marketing. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, to give you an analogy, uh, I would say that social media is as important to marketing as you know, your CFO's presentation to the board of directors. Okay, so let me make that statement. So then the next question is, so let's say you were having a board meeting. Would you have your intern go and make the presentation for your CFO? I don't think so right? Unless you're an idiot. So saying to the world that this is our PR and marketing and social media, this is our content, this is our response, this is our assistance, this is everything. And it's coming from a 21-year-old college student whose primary qualification is that, you know, he or she has a Vine and Snapchat and Twitter account, and we didn't, never had those things. So this person must know about social media, which is like saying that, I guess, to use another metaphor, would you make a 21-year-old person who has a driver's license tell him to fix your Porsche? 
Uh, you know, I don't think so. I mean, now don't get me wrong. There are twenty-one-year-old people who know a lot of about Porsches and could probably fix a Porsche. But you know, the qualification of oh, my Porsche's broken. Oh, there's a young kid. He has a driver's license. That'll fix the Porsche. I don't think so. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, if I could just quote from the book, this was number 112, and it said, mm -hmm. don't delegate social media to an intern. The fact that you found a young person who uses Facebook and will work for an hourly wage lower than a fast food employee's doesn't mean that you should hire him or her to manage your social media. This is like believing that having a penis makes a person a urologist or owning a car makes a person a mechanic. Yeah. Am I not a funny guy or what? Huh? I haven't laughed this hard at a marketing book since I read Ann Hanley's book, Everybody Rice. <laughs> so, well, uh, before we wrap up, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are there any other marketing books you've read recently that you recommend? Yes, yes. There's a book by a guy named uh, Emmanuel Rosen, and it's a book called Absolute Value. So, uh, in the old world, you believed, or many people believed, that marketing was top down, that you sucked up to the Wall Street Journal. Um, if you're hipper than that, you sucked up to Verge and Mashable and CNET and Fast Company and Wired, all of which I love, okay, don't get me wrong. And the theory was that these uh, famous, big, powerful institutions would, you know, review products disseminate knowledge to the great unwashed masses who would then take action based on their knowledge, okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, Emmanuel Rosen's point is that now that because of social media and the internet, the dissemination of information is so fast that it's not a pyramid anymore and nobodies are the new somebodies. So to use a very concrete example, Prior to Amazon's rating system, I would say that many people depended on the New York Times book review mm -hmm. as, a, as an arbiter of literature, right? So if the New York Times book review wrote a great review, you did well, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, within 12 hours of many books being on Amazon, there's 10, 20, 30 reviews, and the, you know, the star rating is either three, four, four and a half, five, right? And, and that's within the first 12 hours. So none of those people, they're Trixie, they're Biff, there's Tiffany, there's, you know, Manuel, there's Guy, there's whatever. These 20 people, they're not professional book reviewers. They don't work for the New York Times or the Washington Post. They just are early adopters of the book. And they rated it five stars and four stars, and they loved it. Okay, so I think the way the world works today is you go to Amazon, you look up a book, hmm, average is four and a half stars. You look at the first review, I love this book. You know, I read it cover to cover in one sitting. You click and boom, one click and you bought the book. You are no longer waiting for the New York Times to tell you that this is a fantastic book about, you know, of journalistic and, and uh, I don't know, fiction or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So in this world, you really have to do things differently. Okay, so the bad news is you're kind of out of control. The good news is that you don't have to try to be one of, I don't know, 500 books that the New York Times reviews a year. Now, you, I'm, no, don't get me wrong, you still want the New York Times sure. to review your book, mm -hmm. but, but the New York Times, the, 
the probability of the New York Times reviewing your book is very low. But it doesn't matter because if you can get 50 nobodies to review your book, it's just as good, if not better, on Amazon. So I'm paraphrasing my interpretation of absolute value. And so I highly recommend that book. Second book I highly recommend is a book called Influence by Bob Cialdini. Yes. Uh, social psychology, how to influence and persuade people. Life-changing book for me. I, I really, truly love that book. I see that book on lists of some of the best marketing books ever. Absolutely it is. And it's, yeah. uh, it was more than 10 years ago, but it's really uh, one of the books that, that anyone that's in marketing should be reading. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any marketing books on your upcoming reading list? I get a book a day, okay? So it's very good to be my local library because I send books to them all the time. To tell you the truth, I don't read that many nonfiction books. Uh, when I read nonfiction books, it's because I'm writing a book about that subject. So I'm doing competitive analysis and I'm looking for what to copy, frankly. Mm -hmm. So copy with attribution, though. So I don't read that many nonfiction books. And Absolute Value broke through the noise because I loved his previous work in branding. And mostly I read novels. I read mysteries and thrillers about Navy SEALs getting presidential pardons in advance and killing people with no due process with a secret task force. So that, that's the typical book that I'm reading. Great. Great. <laughs> I like those too. <laughs> that's all I read, basically. Are there any marketing blogs that you enjoy following to keep up with what's going on? Oh, you're getting into my deepest, darkest secrets. So I, as a social media person, I, I am constantly trying to feed the content monster, okay? Which you so, talk about in, in the book, yeah. the importance of curation. Right. So I constantly am doing a very, very quick overview of daily posts about marketing, social media, branding, technology, whatever. So I use a website that I co-founded called Alltop, and I have a collection of these RSS feeds that I personally curated that I scan every day looking for stories to post. So the answer is I look at a lot of things very quickly. I'm not a loyal reader of very many sites at all. Maybe one of the few is NPR. I love NPR. Mm -hmm. I think almost every story on NPR could be shared. And... So I can't tell you that, you know, I just hang on every word of this blogger or everything because I, I am I'm looking for the undiscovered gems, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the what's interesting when I ask other authors that question is sometimes they'll name a specific blog, but they'll also describe like you've done how they go about getting information. In other words, how they'll use Twitter mm -hmm. as an information source to determine what's being shared most, almost like a crowdsourced RSS. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So it's, it's just interesting to, to find out how people uh, continue to teach themselves. Yeah, it, it, you know, what you're describing is sort of the industrial use of social media, right? So uh, for me, it's not about finding out who's drunk or pregnant, right? For me, it's building a marketing platform. So it's a very different orientation towards social media that, quite frankly, some so-called experts can't stand that that's what I do. Um, <laughs> 
To which I, to which I say, you know, go follow somebody else. Then what's the problem? Yeah, I think they might not like your book because it, it seems to debunk a lot of this, um, you know, witchcraft that they uh, love to uh, peddle, and it breaks things down into yeah. what you need to do to use social media to make money. Well, it's kind of, and I hope you understand the context in which I'm saying this. It's kind of the new SEO, if you know what I mean. Like the way the SEO folks wanted you to think that it was um, it was all secretive and, and mm-hmm. magical and mm-hmm. worth in worth two hundred fifty dollars an hour and you know and they were like, can I just give you my whole attitude on SEO? <laughs> oh, absolutely, that's the okay. that's the the part of the book that I read when I was giving a speech today. Go ahead, please. That was one of my favorite parts. Yes. So basically, I believe that. I'm going to swear again, okay, last time. Yeah, you only did it twice in the book, and this was one of the two places, if if I'm not mistaken. Okay, Okay. right. So my analysis is that Google is in the business of finding great content. And they have, I don't know, 15,000 PhD, computer science, natural language experts, right, from MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Stanford, Harvard, Every freaking best institution in the world. They got 15,000 of these PhDs, average 200 points, you know, IQ each, right? And you have an SEO expert. And this SEO expert is going to be so clever as to figure out how to fool 15,000 computer science PhDs into putting your piece of crap content at the top of a Google search. I just find that a little hard to believe. And if you said, well, you can bet on 15,000 computer science PhDs or this guy who says he's an SEO expert, guess where I would put my money? (laughs) So, you know, the bottom line for me is Google is in the business of finding good shit. So write good shit and it'll find it. That's all you have to do. It's not rocket science here. That's great. Well, Guy, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. It's been my pleasure. And I have another book coming out called The Art of the Start 2.0, which is for entrepreneurs. So oh, really? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I've completely revised that book. Oh, so. well, maybe I can get back through your people to try and get you back on here again. Uh, no problem. <laughs> we can just record it now if you want. Break it into two pieces. Oh, so. I want to read it first. Yeah, details, details. Okay. All right. Thanks, Guy. All right. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. Links to everything we talked about in this episode are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get each episode's show notes, links, and other resources emailed directly to your inbox on Fridays when each episode is published. I'd like to thank everyone who has left an iTunes review. I really appreciate all the feedback and encouragement. And the more reviews the show gets, the more exposure it gets in iTunes so that more people like you can find it. So let me ask you a question. Read any good books lately? I'd love to hear from you and get your recommendations. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and send me a message. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time.